Welcome back to Give Me Some Truth. Uh, I'm here in the booth with Sil today, and I have to say, Sil, that this topic is one that I have a love-hate relationship with, for sure. Okay. There's no question about that. (laughs) So, fun fact, um, back in the day, uh, way back in the day, right out of school, uh, I audited commodities firms. So, I Mm. I worked for National Futures Association, also NFA, um, in Chicago, and so I got my... Series three license when I was there, long since expired, but um, that gave me the ability to uh, basically they wanted you to have background knowledge in commodities and because we were auditing commodities firms. So I would walk in with this group of people. Right. We were always the, you know, everyone was super happy to see us every time we got to walk in I there. <laughs> and, and then we got to audit the books because I was an accounting major and I, you know, didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to kind of be around the securities industry. So therefore I ordered commodities firms. And uh, what I found out quickly there is that commodities are, are extremely volatile mm-hmm. and they go through some big business cycles. So like any good regulator, I decided that I didn't want to do that very long. Uh, so I was like, okay, this, I don't know if I love this job. So I think I want to get out of regulation. So, uh, you know, I, I kind of got to know some of the people uh, that worked for one of the firms that we audited and they were going to offer me a job. So I had like my boxes packed and I had written on them going to California and then the commodities market just totally fell apart. Mm. So this was 2000, uh, 2000, 2001 around that and the commodities industry fell right. apart. The job did not exist any longer. Mm-hmm. And then I just got into uh, securities instead, instead of commodities. So, right. So, uh, you know, I, have had commodities in portfolios throughout my career in certain funds and then they've come out and now they're kind of back in in some cases. And so today I thought it's a great situation where you can talk about um, the role of commodities in portfolios Mm -hmm. and how we can get access to commodities in, I guess, more traditional means rather than owning the physical commodities. Sure. And I think love, hate, you know, it's a good way to describe it. And I think a lot of investors also would have similar feelings about commodities uh, in general because, yeah, they tend to move in cycles, lots of volatility. And sometimes you'll look at them and, frankly, you won't be sure why you hold them to, to begin with. Um, you know, there are even people who think that commodities don't belong in an investment portfolio. And... Uh, you know, there's people who have made very elegant, uh, well-reasoned cases for not owning commodities at all. Um, but nonetheless, most of our clients have held commodities in some shape or another over the years. Um, you know, it's not been a trendy area of the market, so to speak. It's not been a hot area of the market. Uh, over the last few years, but that has started to change in, in you know, recent quarters. So we're now starting to see investors, again, you know, taking a look at good old commodities uh, and energy markets and wondering if, it's, if there's value there in terms of holding uh, those investments in, in, in your portfolio. And, you know, again, different schools of thought. I, I've always been a believer in commodities investing in in general personally 
And again, the way we invest here, we're not in the business of taking huge bets on any particular sectors. We always want to be prudent and diversified in our investment approach. But I do think commodities, uh, at the very least, can be uh, a good source of diversification. And uh, they tend to be a good inflation hedge as well. So I think just diversification and inflation hedging could be two fundamental reasons why you would want to hold some exposure to commodities at least. Yeah, and I think there's a number of different ways that you can hold them. You know, if you were in the ultra high net worth camp, it could be owning futures contracts mm -hmm. uh, on certain commodities that you would do. And maybe you'd place bets or work through a CTA um, that would end up purchasing those for you and cycling in and out. And most people don't do that. I mean, even, even the clients that are, I would call high net worth clients, which we have a significant amount, are not going to go to that level. They're going to buy an exchange traded fund is the easiest way to access them. And mm -hmm. I think that's the, what really happened starting out of like, I don't know, more commonly, I would say Oh five Oh six is maybe when we started to see those kind of packaged products, I would say become more ubiquitous mm -hmm. and usable because beforehand it was almost impossible to do it. And now they kind of came out on a mutual fund format first and then they graduated into ETFs and, mm -hmm. Um, now we have the ability to purchase them a lot easier than we did in the past. And perhaps without a K1, which is the big problem here, um, you know, there a lot of them are treated as partnerships. If you bought into these mutual funds and you'd end up with a K1 and you get this and April 1st, you'd receive your K1 and you'd freak out because you already did your taxes. Right. So, so yeah, I mean, and that's a problem, right? How do you even get exposure to a particular commodity? And I think over the years, it's been, it's been very difficult. Um, you know, how do you own oil, for example? Are you going to take delivery of barrels of oil and store them in your in your basement or something, right? You, you can't. Um, so there's different ways to get exposure. Uh, and I think with ETFs nowadays, it's become increasingly easy. Um, you mentioned CTAs. So CTAs are commodities trading advisors. They typically are hedge funds that trade commodities futures and they trade trends, right? So they trade momentum patterns in, in commodities prices. And so typically that's hard to get into for most retail investors. It's also, you know, it's an active management strategy. They go long, they go short. So there's a lot of risk there. Um, if you just want pure exposure, I think nowadays you have ETFs that just buy the futures and go long. Uh, across a range of different commodities. Um, there's always a cost to investing in commodities, right? It's called the cost of carry. There's no way of just owning a commodity for free. Um, there's always a cost of storage, right? As if you, if you wanted to store it physically, you'd have to pay. Um, futures market work a little bit in the same ways that you are going to incur costs when you roll over your contracts. And so there's there's what's called a negative roll yield. So every time you renew your contract, typically there's a loss. Um, but it's still a very efficient way of getting exposure to commodities. And so there's a couple of different ETFs now, maybe two or three, that allow you to invest in a basket of commodities. They try to mitigate the effect of uh, the negative effect of roll yield and um, they allow you to go long, right? And um, capture most of that upside and downside 
uh, to, to the price of different commodities. So that's one option, is buying an ETF that is going to own futures contracts, which are effectively options on future delivery of, of commodities at a certain price. And by just holding the contract, you can be exposed to, to price movements within that commodity. There's also ETFs that hold the physical commodity. So obviously the logistics involved in that are a bit more complicated. And so they don't do it for um, oil or even for you know, agricultural commodities and things like that, because that gets very, very messy. But for things like gold, um, there's, you know, a number of ETFs that hold physical gold. It's held in vault. They issue shares of the ETF against the holdings in the vault, and you get exposure that way. So those would be just ways of getting pure price exposure, right? So exposure to movements up and down in the price of commodities. And, um, and it's been very popular. Um, I mean, the gold ETF, the most uh well-known one, GLD, is, is huge. I mean, it's absolutely massive. Uh, it, it owns more gold than many central banks around the world. And, uh, and it's grown a lot in, in popularity as, as well this year with, you know, geopolitical instability. So, again, it's a tax issue, though, isn't it? With that one, it's, it's not super favorable, right? Yeah. So, I mean, there's the question of, uh, of the tax treatment, in particular, as it relates to capital gains, right? So uh, it is taxed as a, a collectible, effectively, right? So um, there's that. Um, but the good thing is, well, so first of all, you don't have to sell it and doesn't pay any income. So as long as you don't sell it, you're fine. You can also hold it in, a, in an IRA as a way of, you know, getting around those issues. But commodities in general are not, they're not necessarily super tax efficient, right? Because even the futures fund, they can pay out big distributions that can be taxable as income because the gains that you're making under the, on the underlying contracts are you know, potentially taxable, right? So it's not a particularly tax-efficient asset class in general, right? Unless you can really truly buy and hold and, uh, and avoid all, 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 all taxable events, um, you know, it, it, there's going to be some tax implications there. There's a couple different ways that you can do it kind of in a quasi commodities situation. So you could own, like some people like to buy gold miners or silver miners mm -hmm. and you could buy the ETFs of that. Yeah. Essentially you're just buying the companies that are doing it. Exactly. So you can kind of get around the whole thing. Now it's not a perfect correlation. I mean, if you want to own gold, you know, you, you probably should just own gold instead of the gold miners because mm -hmm. there's different things that impact those companies rather than just having the physical commodity. Right. Another thing that you could do is you could own, uh, you know, load up on um, materials companies or, you know, some, somebody that or industrial companies that might have exposure to certain uh, commodities as well, uh, or own a home builders ETF. If you really wanted to have in an odd way exposure to copper because they use a lot of copper. And so there might be a strong correlation between the two, but um, it's, not really a perfect substitute, though. There's going to be some other, um, you know, extenuating circumstances around those companies that are not going to allow you to follow that commodity perfectly. But if you wanted to get a sort of quasi exposure to that, you, that is an option. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think miners are maybe the most obvious way to get that something close to that pure commodities exposure. Um, you know, and you can kind of play the game of trying to see what's cheaper 
between you know the raw material the metal for example and the metal miner um you know there are ratios that you can look out for look at for example you know there's a ratio of i don't know the price of gold to the value of, of gold mining shares for example and that may tell you at a particular point in time if you know miners are reasonably valued relative to the price of the of the of the commodity or not so you know you can kind of look at both uh, when you're buying stocks, you're also buying, you know, the company, and that could be good or bad. Um, and some companies are very leveraged as well. So in, in, in some cases, the company can actually be, um, have even more risk than the underlying commodity, and it can go up and down even more. So you have to be mindful of that when, when you look at, uh, at making those investments. Especially in oil and gas. Yeah. Right. That's a lot of leverage over there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's obviously worked for a lot of people recently, but against uh, in the prior year. So uh, in the prior years. Uh, and I think it's interesting to note, too, is that not every commodity fund uh, or ETF is created equal because they're all constituted in different ways as well. Right. So you could have a huge bias towards one commodity versus mm -hmm. the others. And oftentimes I do see this when we're looking at it. Um, you're seeing oil and gas being a significant amount right. of the allocation. And mm -hmm. so if you want that, great. But if you wanted more of a precious metals um, sort of exposure, it might be 10% of the portfolio and you want it to be 50. So you, you've got to look inside of your fund and then also see you know, what sort of tactical moves they're making in that fund and, and whether or not it fits your objective. I think that's the important takeaway from this conversation is saying like, okay, you got to know what you own. If you're going to own a basket, be educated on what's in that basket. Yeah, absolutely. And that varies a lot depending on the product. And also if you're buying instead of the commodity or the commodities ETF, if you're buying a company, you need to understand whether it's, it's truly uh, a, a producer of that commodity or if it's going to be a, uh, a consumer as well, if it's going to be purchasing that commodity, right? So, uh, because you mentioned companies in the in the raw material space broadly, some companies are very upstream, right? So miners being the most obvious example, because they're they're the ones digging the commodity out of the, out of the ground and selling it. But then downstream from them, there could be a lot of companies along the value chain, but those could be the ones that end up paying more for the commodity as the price rises, right? So those companies that are further downstream in the production cycle will tend to not necessarily benefit from rising prices. So that's where you have to be very careful in terms of building an exposure. If you're trying to get commodities exposure through stocks, you really have to understand what the company does and whether it's truly um, a company that's going to benefit from upside or if they're going to be hurt by rising commodities uh, prices. And I think, you know, and that applies to the whole debate about inflation hedging in stocks and things like that, for example. There are companies that will benefit because people are going to continue to buy their products at a, at a higher price. And there's other companies that are going to have their margins squeezed as a result of higher commodities prices. If we're talking about general portfolios and kind of your philosophy around portfolio construction, would you say that for yourself, now I'm not every, so I'll say this as a caveat, every client portfolio that Syl makes is you know going to be slightly different probably 
Um, you know, some might have commodities, some might not. But as a general rule, do you put commodities in most of your portfolios as a static holding where you're always going to hold them throughout any cycle? Or do you kind of, are you a little bit more tactical and constructive with it and add it where you see inflation or other factors kind of picking up? Yeah, there's a little bit of both, right? So, I mean, I like to always have at least some gold exposure because I think gold can be a good uh, good diversifier and there may be instances where, you know, it would be the only thing doing well, right? Um, so I like to have some gold. And then, you know, I've, as you know, I've, uh, in, in the current environment, uh, I've felt that raw materials and commodities in general um, were an interesting uh just sector of the market to be in. So I've tended to add some slightly more tactical uh, exposure to them. So there's been a little bit of both, but um, I think there's value in having a small commodities exposure consistently over time, um, just as part of a diversified portfolio. I think it makes sense, right? So again, Different investors have different philosophies about it. And I've spoken to investors who told me point blank, I don't want commodities in my portfolio because I don't think it's really an asset class. I don't think it's something people should invest in. And and, and that's fine. Um, but I do, again, like the diversification benefit. I, 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 I like the inflation hedge. And so I think it makes sense to have a small exposure, right? And you know, in the same way that we're gonna hold bonds, for example, at all times, even at times when we don't necessarily have a strong conviction about bonds, maybe now we don't have a strong conviction about bonds, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't hold any because at the end of the day, um, there's a lot of uncertainty and you know, no one can predict the future. And so you gotta be prepared for anything, right? And I think um, that's what diversification is all about, right? Is, is being prepared for the unexpected. And I think, having that exposure to commodities uh, is part of the answer to that problem. Yeah, and I think also when we look at what actually does well in inflationary environments, you know, the, I think the common knowledge would be, hey, well, just invest in treasury inflation protected securities. But in a rising interest rate environment, those tend to do actually not exactly what they were set out to do. Um, because like no. right now, as interest rates are rising, those bonds are falling in value. And so if you have longer dated bonds, those are getting hammered. And yes, you're getting a little inflation sweetener there, but it's not really doing what you intended it to do. Right. So, you know, commodities are one of those true sort of <clears throat> inflation protection sort of things in most cases. Yeah, I agree. And commodities tend to not do as well as stocks in general. But there's one exception to that, and that's an environment of inflationary surprises. And, uh, and in, in that environment, commodities tend to be really the only thing that works, right? So, you know, I think it's worth taking into account when you build a portfolio. Do you believe that if we enter a, you know, the big term right now is everyone's throwing stagflation out there, uh, do you think that commodities would tend to do well in a period of stagflation? Well, yes, I, I, I tend to believe so, right? Um, I think, and again, you know, stagflation, I don't, you know, I think the term is a little bit overused. 
uh, ultimately inflation is inflation, right? And then the, the, the growth rate is going to vary a lot around it throughout that inflationary cycle. Uh, at times you may call it stagflation, at, at times you might not. I think the primary factor here is just the existence of inflation tends to benefit hard asset and raw materials. And I think that could, um, that could apply whether growth is strong or not. Um, and some commodities may do better than others if you truly have stagflation. Uh, I think, if, you know, commodities <clears throat> is a very broad, diverse market, right? And so there are commodities that are very cyclical uh, and there are others that aren't, right? So maybe very cyclical industrial commodities would not do as well um, in a truly stagflationary environment. But I think there would be <clears throat> other pockets of the commodities world that would do well. So I would still like commodities as a whole. Um, I, we both have a periodic table of commodities returns in our in our lab here. <clears throat> um, and it just showed you the best performing commodities. And, and what it shows on the kind of periodic chart here is that obviously things cycle just like stock cycle. Right. The most surprising thing to me was that in, in 2021, coal was the best performer at a, at a hundred and sixty percent rate of return. I mean, that's just now it came off of, you know, three bad years, negative 22, right. negative 18 and, and negative 1.29. And, um, we'll have the link posted up to the periodic table from a site that I found this on. But I mean, that was, that was the most surprising one to me. I, I expected crude oil to be high. I expected natural gas to be high. I mean, crude oil was like 55 natural gas is 46 for coal at 160. That was, that was pretty crazy to me. Yeah, and this is why people have a love-hate relationship with commodities and, you know, what asset class can go up 100 or 160% in, in one year. Uh, you know, it's, it's pretty crazy and scary. You know, coal, um, I think there's a lot of emerging market demand uh, for coal. So, uh, and it's starting, as you said, it's starting from a very low base and uh, really poor performance for the previous three years. Um, so, yeah, that is surprising, but... You know, I think a lot of what we're seeing nowadays is just the beginning of, a, of what looks like a form of energy crisis, right? That's, that's the reality. And, uh, you know, coal is still an important component of different countries' uh, energy mix, and more so in emerging markets, um, but throughout the world, really, to some extent. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, I tend to agree with any of your thesis on commodities. I do think that they kind of belong in the portfolio in some way, shape, or form. Uh, I think that one of the shocking things for people is that we do have inflation. We haven't seen it in 40 years. And now that it's here, you know, how do we handle it going forward and how long will it persist? And in general, if you look at these cycles, the commodity kind of super cycles tend to last a really long time. And so we saw a really negative uh, downdraft in the commodities for a really long time. They're really terrible to invest in mm -hmm. uh, over a protracted amount of time, you know, really, when you got out of the, the tech bubble, there were a few periods where commodities did well in short cycles, but overall it was kind of a bad cycle. And that's because we were in more of a, I don't know if I would call it a deflationary environment, but definitely a low inflation environment. Mm -hmm. And there were pockets of deflation in there. And then, you know, now that we're seeing this sort of bona fide, not only a supply chain issue that we've seen that's going to last longer than I think we think. Uh, and then also having, this demand 
um, in it, you know, just people demand, you know, countries demanding sort of certain commodities and needing them and chips come to mind for me. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, all of that and just having inflation ignited by central bank policies as well. Uh, holy cow. I mean, it, it does look like uh, maybe having some exposure makes some sense uh, for a lot of people. Now, I wouldn't call commodities super ESG friendly. So, if you're into social responsible investing and things like that, in many cases, people stay away. But if you're looking at trying to maximize the rates of return, I think it's worth looking into or speaking with your advisor and saying, hey, you know, what sort of exposure do we have over here? Obviously, you have some in the S&P 500. If you want an S&P 500 fund, you've got some commodities exposure because you have some companies that are buying and selling commodities just being in the S&P, right? Uh, but uh, if you want bona fide exposure that um, is going to be more of a asset class that you want to hold. Uh, it's worth talking to your advisor about whether or not you have it and how to add it properly in your portfolio. And usually we like to see it in a, in a diversified way or to handle it like you do still and saying, Hey, let's use, you know, let's pick a specific commodity or two and we're going to hold it forever, which could be your gold example. Right. Absolutely. And I think, you know, what's funny is over the last decade or so, there's been this idea of the everything bubble, right? And, you know, it's come up in client discussions over and over. And, you know, and that's the idea that, you know, everything has done really well over the last decade, right? So bonds have done incredibly well and stocks have done incredibly well. So there are, there's nothing cheap to buy anymore. And that's, that's the everything bubble. And, and, and that idea came up in a lot of client discussions over the years. And, I think I think that is what prompted me to really start looking deeper and deeper for pockets of value uh, in investable assets. And I think, um, you know, going back to your point about commodities not doing well for a long time, I've often felt that, you know, in the last few years, there's there's been this environment where maybe there's an everything bubble, but it isn't really everything. There's one thing that's not doing well, and that's been that's been commodities, right? And so we've we've often spoken to clients who were reluctant to invest because they were like, well, look at equity valuations and look up, look up interest rates. So everything, everything is up, everything's in a bubble. And, you know, I've often looked at that and said, well, look, there may be still pockets of value. Look at the price of raw materials, for example. Um, that's not in a bubble. And right. So prior to 2021, um, those markets were just completely unloved. They were in a bear market um, and, uh, and, and no one wanted to invest in them. Right. So, um, again, I think that if you look historically, commodities tend to move in trends. They tend to move in, in, in cycles. And there's a number of, of, of reason for that. I think, um, one aspect about just commodities markets in general is they tend to not have a lot of, um, um, what you would call price elasticity of, of, of demand, right? So even as the price goes up, people need to continue to buy them. So, um, you know, if you think about energy being an obvious example, um, you're still going to need to get gas, even if the price of oil goes up to $200, right? You're still going to need to commute every day and, um, and fill your gas tank. And uh, if you're a smartphone producer, you're still going to need to buy cobalt to put in your smartphone, right? If you're a car manufacturer, you're still going to need rhodium for your 
catalytic converter and all sorts of things like that. So um, commodities prices can rise without really affecting the demand for their products very much. And, and, and they can move in very, very strong long-term trends. And I think what we're starting to see now is potentially a reversal of some of the market dynamics that we've seen over the last 10 to 15 years where commodities have been unloved. Um, they've been in a bear market. And I think we're starting to see uh, a reversal of that, right? So uh, again, we encourage every investor to be prudent and diversified and more importantly, to really assess how a commodity exposure would fit within their portfolio and within their financial situation overall. And, um, but, you know, within a well-diversified portfolio, absolutely. I think it, it makes sense to, to, um, to take that into account. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a value play, right? In this market, the stuff that's done well has been technology. Um, really, the, 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 the hot sectors have all been technology-related. Uh, and, and commodities is, is really the opposite of that in, in many ways, right? And when times are good, um, technology stocks typically are in favor. And when times are good, people can, you know, afford to worry about things like the metaverse and, you know, AI and, and you know, whatever else. Um, but when things get tough, and especially when there are uh, geopolitical tensions, as we're seeing now, there's uh, this sort of back-to-earth kind of shift where people start having to worry about much more uh, fundamental concerns, such as, you know, where do we get our energy from? Where do we get our, our food from, right? Um, you know, and I think that's an environment where commodities uh, and commodities-related sectors can do really well. And so, you know, if you've been just investing in a broad index, you're probably very exposed now to the more tech growth um, um, sectors within the market just by following that trend. I think commodities give um, investors a way of sort of diversifying away from that a little bit. And not just buying large cap value stocks in a different way of seeking out value exactly maybe non-equity places mm -hmm. and i think that the big thing too is that we've seen a couple head fakes of and i i blame somewhat the wholesaler force too they bring out the whole diversified portfolio with commodities they add that up there they show you that you get an x you know better rate of return from that with lower risk mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden you you want to pile money into commodities and then it all head fakes you and goes down um, and so, you know, I think that we've, as, as investment advisors and also retail clients have, have probably felt a little bit burned a few times where they are saying, Hey, this time it's different. You should add commodities this time it's different. And then it hasn't happened. And I, I tend to agree with you, Sil. I think that we're actually entering a cycle where this time it may actually be a reasonably good time to do it. And I think you just look at trends and the trends always last longer than we think. So the supply chain stuff, I think, just my opinion, it's going to last way longer than we think. The inflation story is going to last longer than we think. It's mm -hmm. going to remain, remain stubbornly high. Interest rates are going to increase, which is, I'm not saying anything that's crazy there. Right. Um, you know, so those things kind of add up to a reasonably good commodity thesis in a portfolio. So, um, you know, I just kind of look at that and say, 
maybe now is the time where if you don't have it, you look at it. If you have it, you look at it and just, just say, do you have the proper amount of allocation? And again, check in with your uh, trusted advisor to check into that. So thanks for joining us on this episode of Give Me Some Truth. We hope that you enjoyed our little primer here on commodities. Wachter Cotton Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Registration with the SEC does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The opinions expressed by the participants of this podcast are their own and do not reflect the opinions of Wachter Cotton Financial Advisors. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. Thanks for listening, and for further information, please visit walknercondon.com.